Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Big Ten Preview and the Shadow Realm, where the points don't matter and everything's made up anyways. One man! Goodbye! Hello, Heisman! 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, there goes Davis! Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's in the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Fellas, preview season continues to roll down the tracks. We did the ACC last week. If you missed that, head on over to our Spotify or YouTube. You can find those previews in full there. Tonight, we've got the Big Ten preview a conference that... I think has three legitimate playoff contenders, potentially a fourth. We'll get into that as well as of course, our beloved shadow realm, uh, a term that we coined and, and really helped kind of stoke the flames under last year. Uh, there were calls for merch to be made in its honor. We didn't quite get to that point, but Hey, if there's another edition of the shadow realm in 2023, we might have to get there. Uh, fellas, just off the top here, I mean, the, the Big Ten is one of the most fun conferences, I think, this year when you look at skill, talent, defenses that are going to be really, really fun to watch. From top to bottom, it's not the deepest conference, but I do think we've seen an elevation in play. I think there's a lot more interest, uh, certainly at least through the midfield, teams that can play spoiler from top to bottom, and I'm really excited to get into this preview. Yeah, going through just the stat breakdowns from last season, almost every team was good to elite on at least one side of the ball. There were a lot of half teams, especially out in the shadow realm. There were a lot of defensive-oriented half teams. Uh, but when they were playing defense, they were absolutely elite on that side of the ball. So if you like defense, the Big Ten West is your jam. The shadow realm is your jam. If you like more offensive and, uh, you know, finesse play there's a lot of fun teams like that out east so something for everybody in this conference that's what makes it great yeah and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this year because there's so many new faces there's so many transfer quarterbacks joining there's so many you know just new quarterbacks at big schools and we're going to see how they perform lots of solid running backs throughout the conference uh, it'll be a lot of fun to see kind of how everything shakes out. If there's a little change in the guard or, you know, maybe there's some other teams ready to take advantage and, and you know, finally grab a hold of this conference from one of the traditional powers. Well, a big howdy before we get into the previews to all of our new listeners, whether you're on Spotify, you're watching us on over on YouTube, you're following us on Twitter, Instagram at three tech pod. We really appreciate you jumping on board. This is one of our favorite times of the year. And of course we've got three more power five programs to go after this, we've also got a group of five preview coming as well. And then we get into regular season content. So if you're new, you haven't followed us, would highly encourage you to do so. For following us, we've got a couple of things to make you aware of. Garrett, if you'll throw up the magazine cover. First of all, with our partners over at the Transfer Portal CFB, we released a college football preview magazine. Um, I still get raised eyebrows when I tell people 
Hey, yeah, we, we wrote a preview magazine this year. They ask how the pod's going, how it's growing. Uh, and I lead with that and, and I get a lot of, wait, you did what now? Uh, this was a, a really fun project to be on. It's getting rave reviews. I think uh, one of the quotes that just went across on the ticker, this magazine is, is being reviewed as one of the best out on the market. And the, maybe the best part is it's just a third of the price. You can head on over to the Transfer Portal CFB website, find them on social media. The links are pasted all over the place. You can get your copy over 350 pages of breakdowns, previews, interviews for just $9.99. We are not blowing smoke when we say it is truly one of the best preview magazines out there. Guys, that's not the only exciting announcement, though. We broke the news on our last podcast. Uh, we're affiliated with our friends over at Homefield Apparel now. And uh, Homefield, if you don't know, premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis, committed to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel, focusing on vintage college designs. Um, Trey, I think you're wearing a, a Loyola shirt right now. I mean, they've got logos and shirts for just about every school under the sun. We've got shirts inbound right now. So the Big 12 preview is next week. You guys are going to be able to, to rock some of your Big 12 apparel. Um, my Iowa shirt is, is on the way. So, um, you know, ready to... The rally with the swarm, I think, is uh, the text on that. They're really, really comfortable shirts. Maybe the most comfortable shirts you'll put on, and uh, the the logos are just fun. Even if it's a different school, uh, not a school that you graduated from or, or root for normally, uh, you're gonna want to load up your cart with shirts. And by the way, best part, you can get 15% off your entire order. Use code three tech pod at checkout uh, for 15% off, and uh, let them know we sent you over there. Uh, we're really excited to be partnered with them, doing business with our friends over at Homefield. Guys, uh, with that in mind, Homefield country is Big Ten country. They're, they're based in Indianapolis. We'll get to their beloved Hoosiers. We'll get to their beloved Boilermakers in a little bit. But first, let's start in the Big Ten East. This is really where the champions play. As you and I were actually discussing over lunch, the Big Ten East, uh, in its modern form, has never failed to win a Big Ten championship. They are... Where the Titans play, of course, we're talking Michigan. We're talking Ohio State. We're talking Penn State. We'll lead off here with the contenders in the Big Ten East, and we'll do the contenders in the West coming up as well. We'll talk about the midfield teams and then uh, the teams that are rebuilding, right? The teams that are looking forward already maybe to, to 2024. But I think in the East, we have to start with the Michigan Wolverines. They go 13-1 and last year, 10-0. and in conference play, Jim Harbaugh was oh so close to another uh, run at a championship. He's uh, what is he twenty five and three over the last two years. He has two Big Ten championships, but two semifinal losses. Obviously, that TCU loss was a thriller, an all time classic, but kind of a head scratching loss for a program that ran over everybody in route to the college football playoff. Um, you know, Sharon Moore is now the sole offensive coordinator. Jesse Minter fielded the top overall defense. And, of course, Mr. Khaki himself is roaming the sidelines. So the coaching staff is as solid as ever. Their offense looks like it's going to be just as elite, if not even more so, than they were last year. They were sixth in scoring offense, fifth in rushing offense. And that's where Big Blue's attack starts, right, with their – a dual-headed running back monster. You've got Blake Corum, who ran for almost 1,500 yards last season, 19 total touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, who was nine yards shy of 1,000. 
He had nine total touchdowns. J.J. McCarthy is coming back for another year at quarterback. He's obviously better than Cade McNamara, who we'll talk about in the Iowa preview. He just has a little bit more consistency to his game. Yet, if he can become even more consistent than what we saw last year, this Michigan team truly might be the best in the country. There are just not a lot of holes up and down this roster. Guys, did you know there has not been a team that had won the Joe Moore Award, which is the best offensive line in back-to-back seasons ever in college football history? Michigan did that last year. Their offensive line has been a staple of that program. It might be even deeper in this year, 2023. So you talk about back-to-back. We're talking about Georgia maybe winning three straight national titles. Michigan might start with three straight Joe Moore Awards. And the weapons are really good as well. They've got Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, both explosive downfield threats. They've got A.J. Barner coming over from Indiana at tight end. Uh, Barner has started 30 games for the Hoosiers, so uh, he's he's kind of the next in a run of very, very solid tight ends at Michigan. And then you flip over to the defense. Like You think, okay, that's great. The offense is elite. Where's the defense? Well, like I said, the defense was the best overall defense in the country last season, seventh in scoring and rushing. They had the 20th best pass defense. And they get even scarier at the pass rushing position. True edge Josiah Stewart comes over from Coastal Carolina. He's bringing 35 and a half tackles for loss and 19 and a half sacks in his career to Ann Arbor, right? They've had David Ajabo. They've, they've had Aiden Hutchinson. Josiah Stewart is the next iteration of edge rusher at Michigan and one of the top overall defenders in the country. Uh, you're going to look at guys in the middle big uglies at that defensive tackle position. They've got probably four or five that they can roll deep. Chris Jenkins is going to lead them. Uh, the linebackers returning are an all-conference duo in Junior Colson and Michael Barrett. And then, oh, by the way, you have Will Johnson, who may be the best corner, best freshman corner in the game. He's back for his sophomore season. He looks like he's going to be a guy who goes you know, high first round when his draft eligibility comes up. I mean, it's a wealth of talent and and resources for Michigan so Garrett you were really high on Michigan last year like as good as that team was this team truly seems like they don't have any obvious holes yeah it it sure doesn't seem like there's really anything that you're supposed to not like about Michigan this year Um, I, I think that when you look up and down the roster you don't really see any weaknesses you don't see a spot where you say okay well that has got to be a glaring weakness they're gonna have to cover that some way Really, when you look at them, you know, you you kind of made the joke, Mitch, that it might be just the statistical mean is what they end up running up against is the fact that, hey, you can't do it three years in a row. You're going to have to come back down eventually. But when you look at it, I mean, they've still got a relatively young quarterback. I know that he's, you know, had some time now in that system to really work and develop, but still relatively young. He's, he's starting to develop himself as a leader on that team. I think you see him probably go down the field a little bit more, try to be a little bit more explosive this year. That's probably something they've been working on just to kind of balance it out. But you almost don't need that. When you look at what they had last year in terms of just statistics, you look at some of the offensive numbers, they were still sixth in scoring, right? They, they still scored plenty of points without a, a terribly you know effective downfield passing offense. The passing offense, as you see, 83rd in the country. Um, not, not very explosive. I think they do a lot of that this year um, and, and try to give, you know, a little bit of a lighter box to a, a Blake Corum or a Donovan Edwards and, and see what they can do to kind of ease things off a little bit. And on the defense, man, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic defense. 
Um, you're, you're obviously losing some stuff up front, but I think really just turning it over, I think it's just kind of a reload. Let's see what Jesse Minter can do. Um, and I think that they're going to be just fine. I think that they took the steps they needed to last year to improve. I think they're going to take another step in the right direction. And all of that experience is really going to play in when you look at the rest of this conference, because if you look at the rest of this conference, and we'll obviously talk about this in the other team previews, but looking at the rest of this conference, you're going to have some younger quarterbacks as your main competition. Uh, some guys with a little bit less um, to, to, to offer in terms of experience and what they bring on the field from last year. And I think you're going to have the ability to take advantage of that um, this next upcoming year and and hopefully be able to run, if you're Michigan fans, you know, you're hopefully being able to run right back to Indianapolis and go back to back to back for the three-peat. So, guys, I'm hearing you say all this, and I'm not disagreeing with anything because I think Michigan is, you know, one of the elite teams in all of college football. Where where is the weakness? And you know that that's kind of a relative question, I guess. But I don't I don't know that they have a weakness that's going to cost them you know cause them to not make the Big Ten championship game. Maybe they get got by Ohio State. Maybe they get got by Penn State by just one team being better on a particular Saturday. Yeah. I don't know that they have a particular weakness that's going to keep them from winning the Big Ten. Maybe they have a weakness that keeps them from winning in the college football playoff when they go up against a Georgia or a USC or whoever they might face there. But where's the weakness in this team? I, for me, it's what's the next evolution of JJ McCarthy. What, what Garrett was saying, right? You have to be able to stretch the field. That's what we saw against TCU held them back was, Hey, TCU with a three, three, five was able to blow that offensive line off the ball stuff the running lanes they were not allowing uh donovan edwards to get any sort of room to operate and they they forced jj mccarthy to beat them and he wasn't able to do so right he had a couple of really head scratching interceptions he just didn't look confident throwing the football down the field and that was with a guy like ronnie bell out wide for them right now they don't necessarily have the the kind of brand name recognition at wide receiver this year but i do think they they have some athletes who should the offense decide to try and add that to their repertoire, they'll have the ability to do it. Now, for me, the biggest question, Garrett, uh, Trey, like you said, is does that prevent them from winning the Big Ten? You know, I don't have them coming out of the East for the Big Ten championship game. Spoiler alert, we'll get to Penn State in a minute. I think it's going to be a situation where Michigan is on the road. They run into a team who's better for a day. I, I don't think on paper you can say Penn State is better than Michigan, right? Michigan is, if not the best team in the country, one of the top three. And I don't think Penn State or Ohio State is, is there quite yet. But I do think on the road, very similar to how they lost to TCU, I think if you have a strong defense, especially in the secondary, that can bow up and prevent McCarthy from throwing the ball down the field when, while that front seven goes to work, completely focusing on the run. That's the formula for success against Michigan. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. I don't know if those ingredients actually wave a green flag and end up in a win against the Wolverines, but that's what we saw TCU do last year. Yeah, and the big thing that TCU did, Mitch, to your point, with the three three five is they were just fast to the assignment. They played really good assignment defense. They, they jumped in the holes real quick, and they were able to say, we got our three guys up front. They're not necessarily going to win the point of attack, but we're going to be able to get those three guys behind them to fill the hole, see which direction you're going, and we're going to be able to catch you before this you know run play can develop. The issue is 
you can take advantage of that when you've got really good play action or if you've got really good, you know, sort of ability to take advantage of that and stretch the field a little bit. They Michigan couldn't do that consistently last year. That's why I think they started that game a little slow um, was because they weren't really able to consistently throw the football. Obviously, J.J. stepped up in a big way in that game and he kind of put the team on his back to bring him back. But I think with a little bit more consistency, with a little bit of a different game plan going in from some of these offenses, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see J.J. need to take that next step. He's going to have to be a lot more consistent. He's going to have to be able to throw the football deep. And if he can do that, then Michigan's going to have no issues, right? Michigan's going to cruise through, you know, no real problems. They might, you know, stub their toe here and there, but they're not really going to, they're not going to falter if they can do that. If they can't, Right. If JJ doesn't take that step, if, you know, nobody really steps up in the receiver core, if they can't replace the tight end, you know, whatever it is, if they can't do that, then, yeah, you're going to probably see defenses clamp down and use the TCU formula and just say, yeah, let's just sit back and wait and see which direction they're running. Is it, you know, student body left or student body right? Let's figure out which way we got to go play defense. If they can do that, if, if opposing defenses can do that, then they're going to be able to shut down Michigan and, and Michigan might have a little bit of a tough time. I'm leaning towards the first being true. I think JJ is going to be able to put the team on his back uh, and really be able to throw the ball effectively enough so that Corum and Donovan can be the the stars for this offense. If Michigan – Oh, go ahead, Trey. I was just going to say, I think there's too many weapons on this team, and I think they're finally going to be operating at full – capability for the first time in a long time because I think that's what we were waiting on last year until that Ohio State game and it's funny to say that for the team that was the sixth best scoring offense in the whole country last year but it might have been the most ho-hum top 10 scoring offense in college football history right you look up and yeah they've grounded out 40 points on uh, just a helpless team in the Big Ten but I think they are going to be fully operational this year I'm right there with you Garrett I think I'm leaning towards picking them as my champion for the Big Ten as well that first month was brutal to watch. 51-7 over Colorado State, 56-10 over Hawaii, 59-0 over UConn. Then they got scared a little bit by by Maryland and Iowa. But, yeah, that that offense, certainly at the beginning of the season, was, was just so automatic, and they didn't have to pass, right? I mean, McCarthy did not have to do anything special. Um, it was just student body left, student body right, and celebrate your eighth touchdown of, of the day. Uh, you guys both have Michigan going 12 and 0, making it to the Big Ten championship game. I'm assuming that comes with a college football playoff appearance. We'll talk more about the college football playoffs, our predictions, of course, at the end of preview season. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But Trey and Garrett both have Michigan going 12 and 0. I have them going 11 and 1. Like I said, slipping up in Happy Valley. We'll talk about Penn State in just a minute, but not right now. We're going to talk about Ohio State right now. The Crimson uh, Buckeyes have been, you know, filling up our our mentions on Twitter, um, talking a, a lot about how this team is going to be, if not improved, the same operationally uh, on, on offense. Right? Uh, C.J. Stroud is now with the uh, Houston Texans. You've got Kyle McCord, who's presumably going to be the starter. We'll talk about him in just a second, and uh, a schedule I think that is very very workable. There are some some landmines along the way, but overall, I think Ohio State can once again dream about chasing a championship. They were just a few seconds away from winning a that semifinal game against Georgia and then probably running away with it over TCU. 
but that didn't happen. Um, it was a very balanced offensive unit that hid some defensive warts last season, but there was certainly improvement on both sides of the ball all season long. Jim Knowles is in his second year as the defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes. I think it's really exciting for Ohio State fans. You get to see one of the best in the business week in, week out. He's an aggressive play caller. He wants to bring the blitz. He wants to force turnovers. Um, offensively, number two scoring offense a season ago, which is exciting. Can that carry over into 2023? We'll see. They were the number 14th ranked passing attack. I think I personally expect that to take a little bit of a step back, not because of the weapons on the offensive side of the ball, but because of the quarterback. I don't know that I'm sold on Kyle McCord yet. McCord is likely the starter, but my issue is we haven't really seen him flash or prove himself yet. He didn't win a ton of headlines from that spring game. I went and watched the spring game again, his every rep that he took in the spring game, just to make sure I wasn't, you know, kind of embellishing something or, or leaning into a bit too much. And he had some really good throws. I think when he wants to, that arm strength is going to be a weapon of his. It's also going to be a detractor. Multiple times he overthrew wide receivers that if he gives them a chance, the weapons that he has in that room and Marvin Harrison Jr., the best player I think in the country, Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming, like if he gives them chances to go up and make plays, guess what? They're going to. Those 50-50 balls feel like more like 75-25 balls with the guys that he's throwing to, but he's got to give them a chance. He airmailed way too many passes in that spring game for my liking, right? Now, could that all be turned around in fall camp, summer workouts? Absolutely, it could. I'm just telling you from what I've seen on film, these are my hesitations going forward. The running back room, to me, is also one of the best running back rooms in the entire country. You've got Travian Henderson, Mayan Williams. For my money, they're battling with Penn State for the second best running back room in the the, uh, the Big Ten and maybe in the country. I think Michigan is a cut above everybody else. Talked about the wide receivers, of course. Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be on everybody's watch list. That guy is a human highlight reel. Uh, but don't forget about Abuka and, and Fleming, other five stars who are going to have tremendous seasons for the Buckeyes this year as well. The o- offensive line may be a point of, of contention. They are replacing three starters. They've got both their tackles that were drafted as well as Luke Weimar, the center. Um, Josh Simmons is a guy who's coming over from San Diego State to, to play right tackle in all likelihood. So they should be a very strong unit, but again, a cut below kind of that Joe Moore award winner that Michigan has, I think, right now in the preseason. Trey, offensively, this team seems like they could be a lot of fun. It's like if if the quarterback is is the gasoline in the Ferrari, like are you putting in the premium, right? Are you paying are you paying full price to get that Ferrari out on the open road? What, if any, questions do you have about Ohio State's offense, or do you think McCord is is going to be just fine. Well, you haven't mentioned, you know, Mitch, I don't know if you know this, but Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. were high school teammates. I've been I don't told know multiple if, times. Yeah, <laughs> that's just everywhere right now if you can't hear the sarcasm in my voice. But, I mean, the formula is going to be the same it was with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is a generational talent at quarterback, and I think he proved that down the stretch last year, especially in that Georgia game. But the formula is going to be basically the same. It's distribute it to your weapons. It just like you said, it's not a 50-50 ball with these guys. It's a 75-25 ball a lot of times. If you're just giving them a chance, they're going to make you look really, really good. 
again, no disrespect to CJ Stroud. He absolutely earned everything that he got. Kyle McCord, I think, is going to be a step back from CJ Stroud. I don't think that that's hot take central over here. But what he has, and when we were talking about this on ranking of the the quarterbacks in the Big Ten a few months ago, the reason that we had him in our top five, despite having you know little proof on the field in college, is the receivers that he has to throw to. He's going to have good stats. He's going to be put in a position to win. What I'm more concerned about, yes, Kyle McCord could absolutely, you know, have a really rough ride out of the gate. He could really struggle to build chemistry. He could, you know, have a lot of things go wrong. That's in the cards. That's a possibility. What I'm more concerned about is Ohio State being able to run the ball when they absolutely need to. When you look at the Michigan game, when you look at the Georgia game, I know they put up a bunch of points in those games, and you might be looking at their statistics from last year saying, Trey, they had – you know, a top 25 rush offense. What are you talking about? Um, or top 30, top 40, somewhere up there. But when they needed to, it was really difficult for Ohio State to get the yards that they could. They have talented running backs. They have talented offensive line. But for whatever reason, when they really needed those yards to continue drives and keep uh, keep drives going, they really struggled to get that. So I'm worried now that there's less talent at quarterback. Yes, you're going to have to commit more guys to cover those receivers. Absolutely. But our defense is going to be able to cheat just a little bit more to make Ohio State still struggle with running the football in those key situations. That could be the difference between winning and losing these games against Michigan and Penn State and even Notre Dame, who they have in the non-conference schedule this year. So, you know, I think that's the worry on offense. We're talking on defense, too, that pass defense, man. It, it they, they have the anchors up front. They have Eichenberg in the middle that I'm really excited about as a linebacking prospect, but who is going to help step up to stop the pass? Who is going to, you know, make that key stop in the secondary when they absolutely need to? Cause down the stretch last year, you know, you had guys like Ronnie Bell, you had all the Georgia wide receivers. All those guys were just running circles around this Ohio state defense down the stretch last year. So that could be, you know, again, we're splitting hairs here because we're talking about the elite of the elite in this division. These are three titans of the sport. And so if you have a weakness like that, that J.J. McCarthy or Drew Aller or whoever, uh, Sam Hartman at Notre Dame, because they're on the schedule too, those guys are going to be able to exploit that. So if Kyle McCord is not ready to win a shootout game, that could be a big problem for Ohio State. All right, guys, help me out. So when I'm looking at Ohio State, when I'm thinking about why this team's going to be good, when I've listened to Ohio State fans about why they're going to be good this year, I keep hearing some of the same things. I hear that quarterback is going to be improved. You got, you know, Kyle McCord, he's going to be so good um, and that they've got one of the best wide receiver rooms in all of college football. And, and we certainly agree on a lot of that stuff. I know Mitch, you're maybe not as high on McCord, but he could certainly be really good. The wide receivers are fantastic, but that's kind of been the case for Ohio State for a little while, right? They've had C.J. Stroud and then before him, Justin Fields, who both were first-round quarterbacks. And then you really think about the kind of receivers that they've put through there. Hardline has done a great job, you know, with guys like Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and, I mean, countless others at this point. You, you look at this and I'm saying, okay, well, it seems like the same story for Ohio State, so why shouldn't I think that they're just going to make the college football playoff and then get bounced in the semifinals because that's kind of been the trend with them, you know, over the course of their program's history, that seems to be about where they get stuck. So for me, I'm having to look at this and say, you know, where's the rub, right? Where does this change? What's going to have to change 
right? What gives on Ohio State? What What's going to have to improve in order for Ohio State to take that next step as a program and to get over the hump uh, of just maybe making the semifinal? Garrett, you, Ohio State fans can correct me if I'm wrong here, but Garrett, I think you're asking a lot of questions that Ohio State fans, if they're really honest with themselves and they look in the mirror – it's the exact same questions that they're going to be asking because it's now been almost a decade since they won a national title. I know a lot of programs would be, you know, just super happy that they won a national title a decade ago, but Ohio state is not every program, right? They're through that whole time period. You know, they've churned out NFL talent at almost every position. They've had extremely talented quarterbacks and wide receivers. Like you've said, especially there are a lot of questions that the fan base has to be asking about Ryan Day and about if he can get over that hump or did they just have some magic with Urban Meyer that put them over the hump and they got hot with Ezekiel Elliott one time. I don't know. And don't hear hear what I'm not saying here. I'm by no means calling for Ryan Day to be fired or calling for his job or even saying that he's on the hot seat or he should be on the hot seat. But you're asking questions that I think a lot of Ohio State fans are asking themselves because all of the pieces, all of the ingredients are there in the kitchen, but the cake is tasting great for about 90, 90% of it. And then the aftertaste at the end is just, <laughs> right? The, right. All the ingredients are there though for a perfectly, perfectly baked cake, but just a weird bitter aftertaste at the end of every bite that they're getting with this. So I don't know. It This could be a prove it year for, uh, for Ryan Day. I don't think that you should really view it in that lens. I think this is, if anything, if you can call it a rebuilding year at Ohio State, I feel like breaking in a new starting quarterback and, let's be honest, taking a small step down, even if Kyle McCord, like, uh, you know, his ceiling, Kyle McCord's ceiling, I think it's fair to say, is what C.J. Stroud has given you. It's hard to get better than what C.J. Stroud gave you over the last couple of years. So you're telling me with Michigan still stacking talent, with Penn State, I think, getting their quarterback situation figured out. If the ceiling is still what C.J. Stroud was giving you, what might have to change is, you know, relying on the running game a little bit more, stepping up on defense. And let me, let me just say this real quick before I throw it over to Mitch, too. I think they are going to step up on defense this year. I think Jim Knowles, yep, when you look at year two in a Jim Knowles system, that's usually the step up. It's a very complicated system to learn. Lots of blitz packages, lots of um, interchanging moving parts. Yep. I think there's going to be a step up. They weren't. You look at the numbers that are on the screen right now. They weren't bad by any means last no. year, but you have to keep in mind the competition that they were playing for a vast majority of that schedule. When the competition took a tick up, you saw the warts. You saw the problems. You saw that they couldn't run the ball when they needed to on offense. They couldn't really stop the pass when they desperately needed to on defense. I think in the red zone defense was the one outlier, right? Nearly dead last in the country in defending the red zone. If you got inside the 20 against Ohio State, you were scoring. Now, one of the things that Jim Knowles admitted was a little bit of a failure of a top 30 defense last year was the Jack linebacker experiment. Uh, they're moving Jack Sawyer back to true edge. They'll have a monster pair with with Sawyer and then JT, both Russian. They only combined for eight sacks last year. It's not like Ohio State had a ton of sacks, but quarterback pressures were immense. I think we saw that in the Penn State game. Uh, I'm really high on Ohio State's defense. Guys, the thing that really holds me back is the landmines on their schedule. Yes. Uh, You play at Indiana and then Youngstown State and Western Kentucky to open up the season, but then you take on Notre Dame, 
on the road right before an early buy. Now, that's significant for two reasons. One, for Notre Dame, I think it's important to have a little bit of an on-ramp, unlike last year, before they play Ohio State. And guys, they hung with the Buckeyes in the shoe last year. Notre Dame has improved for this season. I cannot wait to watch this game in week four. But then after that, you have a bye week for Ohio State. Early buys are never helpful, especially when you're trying to make a run to the championship. And it's not like their schedule is is brutal necessarily. But you're it's talking more about, brutal than last year. Uh, like, I'll say that for sure. It, it absolutely is. Maryland, we're expecting to be a plucky team. We'll talk about them. They've got Purdue. They host Penn State. They go to Wisconsin, to Rutgers. Uh, then they'll play host to Michigan State, Minnesota, and then go to Michigan uh, for the big game to, to finish out the season. Guys, for me, and I'll let you chime in here, I've got the Buckeyes at 10-2. and two which I know this is going to anger a lot of Buckeye fans, and I understand. But going to Notre Dame, who hung with you on your home turf last year, they've got a much better offense than they had last season. That is undeniable. And then Michigan, I think, is just a cut above what you are as a program right now. No offense to Ohio State. It's not a bad team in Columbus. I just think there's a better one out there. Am I crazy for thinking that Ohio State goes 10-2 and two and misses, misses the college football playoff? Is the third best team in the conference this year. I don't think you're crazy, and I have them right there at 10-2 and two as well. I think you look at – that's basically saying they go 2-2 two and two against Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin, who tease, little tease here. Uh, high on the Badgers. Uh, we are high on the Badgers, if you can't tell by my nameplate here. Um, but – Two and two in those games with three of them on the road. What part of that sounds unreasonable to a team breaking in a new starting quarterback and, you know, losing a lot of production? It's not like they have – I know they're churning in. They're keeping a lot of wide receiver production. Guys, offensively overall, and I know this has a quarterback factored into a lot of it, but we talked about offensive line replacing three starters. They were only returning 57% of their offensive production from that behemoth of an offense last year. So there's a lot of new pieces that have to come in and either step into a new role or just completely come in fresh and go be ready to hit the ground running from day one. I do like the ramp up in their schedule. I like that they have three tune-up games before Notre Dame this year. I think that works also for Ohio State as they're breaking in a new quarterback. But that close to the schedule, guys, is just absolutely brutal after the bye week. Yeah, and I I'm at ten and two as well, and finishing second in the division. So, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be a really solid season for them. I think that they're going to be just fine. But for me, the theme is going to be inexperienced quarterback versus teams early in the year. Right, I'm looking at a couple of spots early for them to to you know possibly slip up, and they're going to be going against very experienced quarterbacks on the other side. When you look at Notre Dame. They have to go against Harmon. When you look at Maryland, they're going against Talia. And so, like, that, those are two different quarterbacks that have experience, and we all know that things can be different versus, you know, you know, practice, looking at what a guy looks like in practice, how he throws against the same guys that he's been throwing against all summer, and then actually, you know, strapping it on and, and going in and saying, hey, I'm going to go and, you know, play against somebody I've never seen before, is play against these guys who I don't know their tendencies, 
They're going to get different defensive looks. They're going to get, you know, a fan base and, you know, a, a hostile crowd if you're at Notre Dame. And so I'm, I'm looking at this as an opportunity for them to, to grow. And there's going to be a lot of growing experience for McCord. I think he'll be really, really good long term. But I don't know that, you know, beginning of the season, September especially, he's going to be able to make that adjustment that quick. And let me just say this because I can hear the Ohio State fans just furiously typing at their keyboards, right? I can I can hear it already. They could very much go thirteen and zero, right? They could, they could very easily go thirteen and zero. We're just pointing out the possible flaws here. And again, when you talk Ohio State, you are talking about one of the elite teams. You're comparing them with other elite teams. I don't care about Ohio State versus Minnesota or Nebraska or you know, some of these other teams on the schedule. I care about Ohio State versus Michigan. And right now Michigan is a little bit better, and they've proven that on the field over the last two years. So, look, could Ohio State come out and blitz Notre Dame by 30 points week four? And we all have to backtrack on this and say, yeah, they're clearly above where we thought they would be with Kyle McCord. Absolutely. In a preseason preview, this is where we're at right now. We have to see it on the field before we're fully on board with that. Guys, let's go to the third contender here. And trivia question, which came first, the 2008 recession or Sean Clifford's freshman year? Because I can't remember. <laughs> he was there in Happy Valley for an eternity. Uh, he has finally moved on. He's in Green Bay now, of all places, um, in their quarterback room. But, guys, this is kind of a new era for Penn State football, and it could be the most profitable era, the most – uh, championship ready era that they've entered into in quite some time. They're Rose Bowl champs. They beat Utah last year, win 11 and two. Um, you know, they, they were literally run over by Michigan and outraced by Ohio State in their games last year. Those were their two losses, two respectable losses. For them to take the next step, they have to address several areas of concern to beat a Michigan, to beat Ohio State. Guys, I think they might be able to do it this year. Start with quarterback position. They are uh, replacing a lot of wide receivers. I'll give you that. But Drew Aller coming in, who's supposed to be the promised one, um, coming in to play quarterback for Penn State, saw action in 10 games last year, just 344 yards, four touchdowns, nothing flashy. But if you go back and put the tape on, what you saw was an advanced ability to recognize blitz packages, to recognize coverages. He's got a strong arm. He's got an accurate arm. And oh, by the way, he can run. He's a great dual threat athlete that Penn State has not had in quite some time to lead this offense. Throw in the fact that they're going to have a balanced attack because they have the second best best running back room in the conference, in my opinion. Uh, Nicholas Singleton, Catron Allen, they combined last year for almost 2,000 yards, 22 total touchdowns. That's a lethal group to work next to Drew Aller. Now you say, okay, that's great. Young quarterback, running backs, what do they need? They need an offensive line. Well, Penn State's got one. Uh, the offensive line's an absolutely loaded group, bunch of veterans coming back. This is a team that should be able to move the football down the field. Now I mentioned that they lost a lot of wide receiver production last year. Parker Washington's gone. Mitchell Tinsley's gone. I hear you loud and clear. It's a very, very talented group, albeit a young group. The transfers will help. They've got transfers in Malik McLean from Florida State and Dante Cephas, Dante Cephas, excuse me, from Kent State. Absolute fireworks on a football field. If you didn't get to watch Cephas in any of the action on a Tuesday night, uh, just search his name on YouTube. 
He's a playmaker. He's a guy that can move all over. He's a guy that's going to be absolutely miserable to try and cover, whether it's underneath or downfield. So the offense for Penn State, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to rest on Drew Aller and his ability to be a difference maker as a young quarterback. Now you go, Mitch, why on earth is this any different than Kyle McCord at Ohio State? You just spent the last 20 minutes telling me why Ohio State's ceiling could be or that your prediction is lower on them because of an inexperienced quarterback. For me, again, I go back to the tape. What have I seen on the field between Drew Aller and Kyle McCord? And for me, Aller is the better prospect. For me, Aller has better intangibles. He's shown me in live game action that he can handle a blitz, that he can diagnose a read at the line of scrimmage, audible someone into a hot route, and make the throw. Plus, he's a little bit more mobile than the McCord is. So, you know, could could this all come crashing down on Penn State? Absolutely. Could Aller have a true, you know, sophomore slump for him? This would be his first full season of starting? Absolutely. But when I turn on the tape and and truly compare these two, I like Aller better. And for that reason, I'm going to give Penn State the advantage here when we're talking about predictions. Now, before we get to the defense, I want to hear where you guys are on Penn State's offense, I think their defense is going to be very, very good. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But because I'm so high on this offense, I think that 11-1 and is a very real ceiling and, in my case, prediction for Penn State. That's why I have them coming out of the East. I have them beating Michigan at home, taking down the Wolverines on any given Saturday. I do have them losing to Ohio State on the road in the shoe. But the way that the records work out, Penn State gets to be the Big East nominee uh, to go to the championship game. It feels like it's time, doesn't it? Like it feels nothing against James Franklin. I think he's done a great job at Penn State. He's just gone up against two just behemoths every single year in the Big Ten East, and it feels like it's Penn State's turn. And if any year it was going to happen, you know, I think this is probably the best offense that Penn state has had on paper since Saquon Barkley was roaming the sidelines. Definitely the best quarterback on paper that James Franklin has had at Penn state. Uh, Christian Hackenberg was very highly regarded as well, but I think drew Aller is a little bit better prospect than him at this point in his career. And defensively, what if, what is James Franklin and now Manny Diaz in the second year as defensive coordinator, what have they done to not give you confidence in them defensively. They're going to churn out great, you know, secondary players. We've seen that year after year. Kalen King is next in line there. He's one of our breakout candidates this year. Mm-hmm. Went and got Storm Duck for North Carolina, all-name team, but also a very good cover corner. And there's a lot of talent on this defense to really shut people down. We saw that on display last year, and they're bringing a lot of talent back as well. So, I'm right there with you. I'm high on Penn State. What's giving me cause for pause is, again, just like we said with Ohio State and like we've kind of hinting at with Michigan is we're going to roll with what we've seen on the field until proven otherwise, right? That's kind of one of my rules for college football is you've got to prove it to me on the field before I really go all in on it. And I'm going to break that rule um, a little bit with one of my predictions later in the show. But for Penn State, I before I get really all in on the hype train, I've got to see, I've got to see it. And there's a lot of points to make up. You look at those scores from last year against Michigan, Ohio state. Cause again, 
We're not comparing Penn State to Maryland. We're not comparing Penn State to Rutgers. We're comparing Penn State to Ohio State and Michigan. It's a lot of points to make up from what happened last year. And it's hard for me to get excited about Penn State before I see the product on the field and before I see it against maybe even the second quarter of, you know, the Michigan game all the way in November, the Ohio State game in October. Like if we're competing in the second quarter of that game, then maybe I'm all in on Penn State. But until then, I've really got to see it on the field against those two behemoths before I get really excited. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my concern is for Penn State. And I want to maybe ask you guys about this. What about Penn State's sort of DNA do you really think is going to help them get over the top, right? Like we know the passing game is probably an improvement here, and that's going to help for sure. But similar to where Ohio State is and kind of what we said there, they've had good running backs at Penn State, right? Then they're going to have a great (laughs) pair of running backs again. Um, They've played good defense. And outside of just an improved pass game, which I think we can kind of expect, what about the DNA is there? Because as I look at the schedule, I'm looking at this and saying, you don't really have a test until the end of October with Ohio State that October 21st weekend. They don't really have a whole lot that's probably going to be on their schedule to really push them. I know Iowa is solid, but you know I don't think we expect too much of an offensive performance out of them this year either. Um, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll there. talk Iowa in a little bit. But if you look at the end of that schedule, at Ohio State, at Maryland, followed by Michigan, I don't know. I just I see some opportunities to slip up on the road, some opportunities against some better teams. And so I want to know kind of what about this team? What about, you know, this iteration uh, of Penn state do we think is going to be really different than, than previous iterations? For, for me, it's the front seven. Um, so last year when Michigan, if you'll pull up the schedule graphic again, Garrett, last year when Penn state played Michigan, that was the, the front half of the season, right? The sixth game of the year. Penn State went into that game as the number one rushing defense in the country. Everybody thought, okay, it's the top rushing offense. It's the top rushing defense. This is going to be a clash of the Titans. And Penn State got blown out of the stadium. Uh, and, and the main issue was the linebackers at Penn State had a very rough learning period under Manny Diaz in the first half of the season. Now, they put it all together late, started to play a lot better, with that front four to make it a collective and cohesive unit. And they ended up having the 17th best rushing defense in the country. That's a far cry from tops in the country. And I understand that. But when I watched how that unit evolved, the linebackers were not good against Michigan. They were nowhere to be seen while Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum were, were rushing through the a gap, right? I mean, it just wasn't even a contest trying to get around the corner. Nobody there to cut off the angle of attack. I think this year playing Michigan later in the season can be a difference maker. Now, again, we'll see injuries, health, et cetera, all of that completely, completely up for grabs once we get into the regular season. But as I'm projecting forward, how does Penn State make up that egregious point deficit against Michigan? You have a more explosive offense that can throw the football down the field more consistently you balance that with a great running attack, and then you stop the run. And I think they're equipped to do both of those this year. Plus, get to the passer a lot better, right? On the edge, you're talking about a guy like Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. They both combined for nine and a half sacks last year. Chop Robinson is going to be one of those names that you hear probably called close to, if not in the first round of the NFL draft next season. One of the elite edge rushers in college football today. 
Uh, you you throw in Kalen King, Storm Duck, Trey, like you said, in the secondary. I think this is the most complete team that Penn State has fielded in quite some time. And to your point, it, it really does feel like a if not now, then win situation, right? If Franklin isn't going to get to 11 and one, get to a Big Ten championship game with this team, then when is he going to do it? And and so for all of those reasons, for you know, truly believing that, hey, it's a oval ball that bounces in funny ways sometimes and statistical mean does play some sort of some sort of effect here when we talk about regressing. I do think that I don't believe in it's this team's turn, but I do believe that Penn State has a better shot than what folks are giving them because I think getting Michigan at home is a big deal. Counting on Ohio State to run the table, go on 11 and one. Eventually, that's not going to happen. I choose to believe that it's this year that Penn State hangs a banner. All right, guys. Well, we've got Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State in the boat. Let's jump on over to the West, talk contenders over there. Our consensus contenders for the Big Ten West, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. And we're gonna we're gonna start with Iowa because Purdue this year, sorry guys, you're not gonna be a contender, I don't think, in the Big Ten West. So we can't start We can't say that for sure, man. It's the shadow realm. Well, we could it's the shadow realm. For, the for all we know, this, Northwestern could be hoisting that trophy at the end of the year. For, for the purposes of this preview, we're going to start with the most <laughs> contendery of the contenders sure. in both these seasons, and that was Iowa. Shout out the Hawkeyes. Um, you guys had maybe the most unimpressive 8-5 and five schedule in the history of college football. Um, <laughs> the, the story here is Kirk Ferentz is in his 25th season. That's great. One of the you know all-time best you know, names, most tenured coaches in college football. Brian Ferentz, on the other hand, the offensive coordinator, uh, he, as far as I can tell, has the first recorded, like, pitch count put on him by an athletic director who's no longer there, actually. He's since stepped down. But Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator and uh, son of Kirk, if you didn't already connect those dots, in order to keep his job, has to score... 300 points this season now that's the team that's not just the offense but the team has to score 300 points this season that equates to 25 points a game and they have to win at least seven games so with that in mind and and i think of like a fundraiser you know tracker where you've got the the pot at the bottom and then you go up and 300 (laughs) at the top of the chart all season long we're going to be penciling in coloring in the red lines that we get to 300 with that as the backdrop Let's dive into the Iowa preview with this nugget since 2017 guys, Iowa is 39 and two when they score at least 24 points. So just a point below what they need to average for Brian Ferentz to keep his job. They almost win every game when they don't they're 12 and 21. So Iowa, despite having this uh, reputation for not scoring a lot of points, it's essential to their success. As good as that defense is, they need to score at least 24, 25 points, not only to keep their offensive coordinator around, but to be an unstoppable force in the Big Ten West as well. Offense looks sort of new this year, specifically at the top. Cade McNamara comes over from Michigan uh, after he lost his job to J.J. McCarthy. He's recovering from a knee injury and knee surgery, so the question is, will he be healthy this season? 
they think he should be ready for week one, but you know, in, in sports, you, you kind of never know. Running back room is going to be fun. Caleb Johnson leads that room. He broke Iowa's freshman rushing record with 779 yards last season. He's a really fun playmaker. I think he's going to be on full display in year two uh, in Iowa City. Caleb Brown, an Ohio State transfer, comes over. They've also got Seth Anderson coming in from uh, Charleston Southern. So you've got big-time playmakers who are joining the wide receiver room. The issue is behind them, there's really nothing. They're very, very thin in the wide receiver room. So you got two big names. Uh, Luke Lackey comes over. I'm sorry, he's the only Hawkeye to catch multiple touchdowns last season. He's the tight end. What kind of impact does he have at a program that's notorious for beating being tight end you? Defensively, Joe Evans has been tabbed as the Lucas Van Ness replacement in the pass rush. Evans is a very, very good-looking pass rusher. The question is, can he have uh, the kind of production that Lucas Van Ness showed? And Van Ness wasn't even a starter last year. So I, I kind of lean to thinking, yeah, I think he could with enough starter reps. Evans will be a starter this year. Nick Jackson is the biggest name that joins this Iowa defense. Again, a defense that is... Very, very solid year in, year out. They produce one of the best defenses in the entire country. Uh, Jackson is a Virginia transfer, as you see on the graphic if you're watching on YouTube. He brings 354 career tackles with him, and he should be kind of another captain on this defense. They've also got a couple of really fun uh, defensive commits on the defensive side of the ball, Ben Keeter, Khalil Tate. They're really, really excited about linebacker safety, respectively. Uh, And then Cooper DeGene. Uh, certified star at, at the cor- uh, cornerback position. He's probably going to have a, a, a tremendous year anchoring that secondary for the Hawkeyes. So as we zoom back out, I think the team's strength is the defensive line. Uh, Phil Parker believes that this is the best week one unit he's ever had across his front four, which is really exciting for Hawkeye fans. The problem is, is that offense going to be able to score? It's it's the true same question we ask year in, year out about Iowa. The team weakness for me is the wide receiver depth. They barely return any catches with guys who are currently on the roster. My ceiling for Iowa currently 10-2. and two, I think that's generous, but the schedule's not terrible. We'll get into that in just a minute. I've got their floor at 7-5. and five. I think this is if the offense really sputters. We don't meet that 25-point benchmark. We start having to hand out some pink slips. For me, I'm going to predict that they go eight and four. So, Garrett, as, as I ask you, where do you sit on this Iowa team? There, there's certainly some promise on the offensive side of the ball, but it is just promise right now as we sit in the in the preview era. Right. Look, Iowa fans, this is where I'm going to buy some goodwill. Um, I'm pretty high on what Iowa can do. Uh, I'm not thinking that they're going to be an explosive offense, okay? When you look at some of the offensive numbers that we have, nothing about these offensive numbers scream that this year we're going to have an amazing offense, right? The Everything there is in the bottom 10. I mean, you have the red zone percent technically, but I mean, what, they get the red zone like three times last year? They, they weren't very good on offense last year. Um, when I try to look at this and break this down, I think that Cade McNamara is going to be a difference maker, not because he's going to be an elite quarterback, but just because I think he's going to be able to bring a stability to that position that Iowa hasn't had in a while. I don't think that you can really say that Iowa's had real stability that position in a little bit. They certainly didn't have it last year. Last year, I mean, it it felt like every time I turned on an Iowa highlight or any sort of a, you know, 
switch the channel. Let's go watch Iowa for a minute. I just found myself going, oh, you knucklehead, you bonehead. What was that? And, you know, just kind of asking, like, what is he doing? Right. And and that that's I don't know. I just I, I don't understand the way that they were coaching the quarterback. Now, again, maybe it's just time for Ferentz to hit the road. And, you know, he's just not a very good O.C., I don't necessarily know that I believe that. I do think that the 300-point threshold is something they can hit this year. Um, I think that they should be able to. I, I think the running backs are going to be really fun. I like Caleb Johnson a lot. Uh, talked about him in an article I wrote recently for the transfer portal. Um, and, and so I think that'll be a lot of fun to look at. And look, all you need is a little bit more stability, You know, just kind of a level head in the huddle to, to keep everybody on the same page they'll be able to score some points this year, especially after, and, and I got to think this is true, especially after an off season of everybody ragging on them, everybody saying they can't score, everybody saying the final score is going to be like four to three because they're going to get two safeties somehow, right? After an off season of that, I think that there's enough guys in that locker room that have a little bit of pride to play for. And I think that they're going to turn it up a little bit. I'm by no means saying that Iowa's going to be an elite offense. But I do think they can have a middle of the road mediocre offense when you know with you know that defense, a mediocre offense can go a long way. I personally pick them at 10 and 2. I think that they're gonna take care of a whole lot of business there. I don't think that they're gonna necessarily sweep through the schedule with ease, but I do think they'll do a lot more grinding it out winning than they they have in the past. Well, and and here's the thing about Iowa, because we can write the jokes, write themselves about their offense last year. We, we don't have to rehash that again. You look at the offensive ranks that we highlight on our show here. They're mostly in the triple digits. The one thing that they broke out of the triple digits on was red zone scoring percentage. But if let, let's say this might be a big, if let's say that they hit that target, let's say that they hit 25 points per game. What is their record this year? Because with, 17.7 points per game, just a historically bad offense last year. They still won seven games in the regular season and the won a bowl game against an SEC team. Like that historically elite defense paired with a historically bad offense. If they get the offense right and they hit that target, 25 points per game, you know, couple touchdowns, three touchdowns and a field goal per game, give or take. What's their record this year in y'all's mind? Well, I mean, Garrett said ten and two. I actually have a, a disclaimer. I said eight and four just a second ago. I have nine and three. Um, upon upon well, that's further review, they make that's assuming they hit that goal. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, upon further review, I have him at, at nine and three. Look, the schedule is very very workable this year, guys. I mean, Utah State at home, Iowa State, they're probably going to stink again. Uh, Western Michigan, you're three and zero. Oh. You head to Happy Valley. I think that's a tougher game than what many may look at on the schedule and immediately give that to Penn state. I think Iowa's offense is going to be improved. And if we're looking at this schedule, assuming they hit that point total, I think it's a close game. I think it's one that Penn state wins, but okay. So you're three and one, you get Michigan state and Purdue at home. You go to Wisconsin. We'll talk about the Badgers in just a minute. You get Minnesota, before finally getting a bye, I think by that point, Iowa might be a little bit worn down. So for me, I have Wisconsin and Minnesota as two, two more losses on their schedule. But then after the bye week, you're, you're telling me that they don't run the table against Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska. Illinois is the pluckiest of those four teams, and you've got them at home. So I, I think as long as... You don't drop a game you shouldn't, and maybe you view that Wisconsin game or that Minnesota game as a game that you shouldn't. 
that's how you get to 10 and two. But, you know, I, I think that it's a very favorable schedule for the Hawkeyes this year. It is not crazy to think that they could win the big 10 West. Yeah. And for me, my 10 and two has them losing their last game at camp Randall. I think having to go to Penn state and to Wisconsin, that's tough, right? That's tough for pretty much any team to have to do both those games on the road. But that game against Wisconsin, I think, is their last loss of the year. I think they're going to bounce back against Minnesota, get a nice bye week, and then run the table on their way out. Um, And you know they're going to be pissed about that Nebraska game, too. They're going to be ready to go in there, ruin their year, you know, just, you know, right in your eye hole type of thing, right? Just (laughs) ready to go against the Cornhuskers after what they did to them last year. I I think that they're going to be ready to go. Um, And so, yeah, I've got them at 10-2. and I think they're going to be a lot better um, on offense. I think they're going to be really, really good on defense as well. And, uh, yeah, I think they're going to end up making that 25-point margin. 25 points, what was it, last year? They gave up, like, 13 points a game last year. If you can score 25 this year and keep it anywhere near there, you're going to win most of your games. Yeah, I mean, this Iowa team should take a big step forward. I think having an average quarterback. Listen, Spencer Petras was just not average last year. He just wasn't good. I think you have an average quarterback this year plus a solid running game. To me, like I said, the biggest question is that wide receiver, but I think that defense is going to come to play, and and I really do like the Hawkeyes' chances um, at being interesting this year. Let's go to a team that, Trey, you and I are very high on. We're going to Camp Randall, baby, and uh, your your little nameplate has has our feelings. You're wearing them on your sleeve. Jumping around intensifies. Wisconsin went 7-6 and last year, 4-5 and in conference play. They had frustrating losses to Washington State, to Illinois, to Michigan State, to Iowa, to Minnesota. So you go, Mitch, how on earth are you about to sell me Wisconsin? Well, buckle up, friends. Luke Fickle's in town. It's his first year coming over from Cincinnati, and he brings Phil Longo, who's a friend of the program. Follow us over on our social media. You should, too, at 3 Tech Pod. Coach Phil. He comes over from North Carolina, where he ran one of the most prolific passing offenses in the country last year. Wisconsin, this isn't your dad's Wisconsin team. They're going to run the ball, sure, but this is going to be an air raid offense. And Wisconsin plans on chucking the ball all over the, the, the yard. They're bringing Tanner Mordecai in from SMU. He transfers in for his final season of eligibility. Um, and then, oh, by the way, you're bringing Mike Tressel, the defensive coordinator from Cincinnati, over to Wisconsin as well. So some staff continuity under Fickle in a really fun offensive mind in that coaching room. For me, that's how we get some some exciting rumblings going on in, in Camp Randall. Told you about Mordecai, electric arm. He has really good legs. If you saw one of our, um, I, I guess, Trey, it was the, the video that you put up on Instagram for the top five quarterbacks in the Big Ten. Tanner Mordecai is one of those guys. One of those highlight clips that you showed was him just breaking, breaking away, using his legs to run down the seam to score a touchdown. Of course, Braylon Allen. We might have buried the lead there. One of the best running backs in the country. At almost 1,300 yards a season ago, 11 touchdowns, averaged 103 yards per game. Um, the wide receivers, they've got some interesting guys coming in. Chamiri Dyke is the incumbent starter. He was a Badger last year, but you also add C.J. Williams and Willie uh, Will Pauling. Excuse me. Pauling's from Cincinnati. Williams is from USC. That forms a really good trio, I think, to start your air raid offense with. The uh, offensive line, shocker guys, they're going to be good. Uh, left tackle Jack Nelson is the leader there. You got Jake Renfro at center. He's transferring in from Cincinnati as well. So you've got an offensive line that's going to be really good. You're going to be able to run the ball. You have a proven gunslinger at quarterback 
and really good weapons out wide. Plus, if you want to use the tight end, Wisconsin always has a couple of guys in that room. I think this offense is going to be a lot of fun. So what about the defense? The defense is replacing their leader in Keanu Benton from last season, defensive tackle. So I think for Wisconsin, you need to, to make sure you can stop the run, first and foremost this year. We talked about running backs in this Big Ten. You're going to have to do that, defend the run, if you're going to be elite this year. It's a veteran group, though. Uh, you've got Edges, Isaiah Mullen, Rodas Johnson, and James Thompson Jr. Collectively, they racked up 14 tackles for loss last year. They were ninth in rush defense last year and 38th in sacks. They're bringing back a lot of production other than Keanu Benton, so I think you tick that box off. Uh, the linebackers, another very veteran group. You bring back three of your team's top tacklers to man those positions this year, so stopping the run some pass coverage underneath. I think you're starting to check some of those boxes. For me, the weakness of this team will be in the secondary. Jason Mitri comes over from Boston College. I, I don't even know if any of the uh, Screaming Eagles secondary actually stayed at Chestnut Hill. It seems like they all transferred out after last season. But you add a boost of talent there. The, the secondary, though, loses nearly all of their production. So if there is a weakness on this Wisconsin team, they might be able to throw the ball. Can they stop the pass? as well um they're gonna be really good in the trenches and and to me that's where winning football is built so i think they have that advantage for me guys surprisingly their ceiling is 11 and 1 i'm not gonna pick them to go 11 and 1 i think 10 and 2 9 and 3 is more realistic but trey you're a believer in wisconsin as well i'm not i'm I'm not high on anything right now uh, tell me, tell me, back me up a little bit here. Where am I correct? Am I wrong about anything as I read this? Man, we've laid out the case before on this show. We've talked about in our quarterback breakdown, we ranked Garrett and I ranked Tanner Mordecai as our number one quarterback in the Big Ten going into this season. And look, will he be number one at the end of the year? That remains to be seen. There are a couple guys, Drew Aller, Kyle McCord, could definitely show that they're the real deal and be the undisputed number one quarterback in the Big Ten. But you cannot argue that Tanner Mordecai has shown the most on the field in his career of any quarterback in the Big Ten. That's just an undisputed fact at this point. He has thrown for over 7,000 yards in his career. He's done it in an offense that extreme that is extremely similar to this one that Phil Longo is going to bring to um, to Wisconsin at SMU and at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley and look, he has weapons around him that have run similar offenses as well. It's not like they're just going to try to fit a bunch of square pegs into this round hole of the air raid offense. They brought in Bryson green from Oklahoma state. They brought in CJ Williams from USC guys that know these route trees guys that know, look, it's not going to be a complete one-to-one transition. There's obviously going to be a small learning curve, but they brought in guys to run this offense. They said when they came over, when, Uh, when they hired Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator, when Luke Fickle made that decision, which I think I said Garrett Riley was the number one coordinator hire of the off season. I think this is number two right behind that. They said, you know, they hadn't a choice. They could say, we're going to, you know, punt a year and we're going to build this, you know, from the ground up, we're going to strip it down to the studs and transition. It's a very hard transition from the power running game to the air raid but they didn't do that. They said, we're going to go to the transfer portal. We're going to get guys that have run the similar system so we can hit the ground running. And I think that's what they're going to do. And they're always going to be physical on defense. 
I love what Cincinnati ran at uh, what, what they ran at Cincinnati under Mike Trestle and under Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle is a defensive minded coach that he's going to take care of that and make sure that that quality is up there. And the defense wasn't exactly, you know, a huge problem last year. They were stuffing the run. They were competing in the pass coverage. I, I agree. They lost a lot of production there, but you know, defense is not typically going to be a problem for Wisconsin. And there's not a lot of offenses on that schedule other than Ohio state that really scare you. So the ingredients are all here. Luke Fickle is a fantastic coach. I really think Wisconsin, like I, I am extremely high on the Badgers to the point that that win total at six and a half, I have to lay some coin on that yeah. before the season starts, because that looks like something that, you know, maybe it's a situation where Vegas knows something that we don't, but that looks like a pretty, pretty um, enticing line there at six and a half. Yeah, and I think you're probably right, Trey. I think that this is a really good team that's, you know, heading in the right direction. I do personally have them at 11 and 1. Um, that's, I know that's a little bit optimistic, but I, I think that they're going to make the transition. But let's kind of go with the, the worst case scenario. You know, let's try to be somewhat consistent here. You know, it's a brand new head coach, brand new offensive coordinator, it's a whole new staff. You've got a brand new quarterback coming in there. Really, the only thing you're bringing back in terms of like real offensive production is going to be, you know, Braylon Allen in terms of guys who I think we can say are going to take them to the top. And Heisman contender. Yeah, not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, when you talk about Braylon Allen, you also have to put him in the context of his conference, right? You've got, you know, Blake Corum, you've got Donovan Edwards, you've got Nick Singleton, you know, you've got loads of these guys across that can run what's like the worst case for Wisconsin, right? If this is all falling apart, if this doesn't quite jive, if, you know, if Washington state proves to be a little harder off the front end than we maybe expect. And, you know, they don't get off to a hot start. What's kind of our worst case scenario. What what will be going wrong? What do we look for there? For me, I think the floor is somewhere around eight and four. I think if you're talking worst case scenario to me, that means, yeah, Washington state, that's a road trip that they're not ready for. And something weird happens on the Palouse. Um, Iowa's defense is just too much and they shut down that air raid offense. I think that's a legit possibility. Um, Ohio state comes in and, you know, just wreck shop in Madison on Halloween weekend. And they drop another one somewhere Whether that at Minnesota, um, at Illinois, one of these other just strong uh, other contenders in the big 10 West. So, but other than those games, and they get a lot of those at home, right? They go to Washington State, they go to Illinois, but they get Ohio State at home. I think that could be some weird magic at Camp Randall. I, I'm looking forward to that game on Halloween weekend. They get, uh, you know, Iowa at home as well. So I don't know. Mitch, what do you think? I, I, eight and four feels like a solid floor to me if everything. Yeah struggles to adjust i agree i think it's eight and four i think you know going to illinois will not be easy um you know that that should be like we said a fun iowa team that comes to town hey listen the palouse is always ripe for weirdness and we are talking the shadow realm after all so yes you know it it's not out of the realm of the possibilities the models the models are are telling us to be aware of that week two trip to washington state but i agree i think I think absolutely worst case scenario, it's seven and five. Uh, but this is not a terribly difficult schedule. I think you have to squint to get there. I think eight and four for me is still like, okay, I feel like I'm having to concede on various in various areas to get them to eight and four. 
They're like losing to a couple teams that I think they're definitively better than. If right. They get to exactly. Eight. Exactly. You, a couple of games where maybe you're playing down to your competition. This will be my representative out of the Big Ten West. I think Wisconsin makes it to Indianapolis to play Penn State. I'm very, very high uh, on the Badgers this year, um, which, you know, hey, would make for a fun matchup. It, I think it would give the Big Ten West a, a legit chance to win a conference championship game. Um, and it would be a, a, you know, a new matchup that, uh, that we haven't seen in, um, well, I think ever in, um, in Indianapolis, uh, last team in the big 10 West to talk about as far as contenders, it's Illinois. And I'm curious what you guys think about Illinois. The, the run of show here, uh, it was one of the best seasons that they've had in almost two decades. Their first eight win season since 2007, shout out juice. Um, Brett Bielema has got the Illini believe in that they can be, be a force, be a factor in the big 10 West. Um, and I think part of that is because the offense took a step in the right direction last year. Chase Brown was literally the offense for most of the season. He's gone now. So how do they adjust? But the defense was also very, very solid. One of the best secondaries in the entire country last year. In fact, they led the nation in scoring defense interceptions and total takeaways. And a large part of that is thanks to Aaron Henry, who was the defensive backs coach. He's now co-defensive coordinator with Terrence Jamison, who's the defensive line coach. Fun note about uh, both of those guys. They actually played for Bielema at Wisconsin. So he's kept it in the family here. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a true coaching tree going on in Illinois. I think that's really cool. Offensively, you got a lot to turn over for the fighting Illini. And it starts with the quarterback. Tommy DeVito's out. Luke Altmaier, the Ole Miss transfer, is in. Certainly feels like Altmaier's ceiling is higher than what you got from DeVito, but then again, Luke hasn't proven that. He, he was a highly coveted recruit coming out of high school, went to Ole Miss, now transferred to, uh, to Illinois. But what do you get with him? The running back is going to have to be by committee, um, replacing Chase Brown. He's off to the NFL. That, you just have to assume, regresses to the mean a little bit. They're not going to run the ball nearly as effectively chase brown was so good at catching passes out of the backfield as well last season i feel like that takes a step back wide receiver they've got isaiah williams who had more than double the number of catches than any other returning receiver he had 82 so the the production outside of williams isn't great um they have some veteran options but they're also really excited about three freshmen that they got on campus uh this summer so it's it's kind of a there are pieces to play with, but in what order do you deploy them out on the field? Defensively, I'm excited to watch this defense again. Now, everyone's going to talk about the secondary and the guys that they lost to the NFL draft. Drazon Newton may be the best nose tackle in the entire country. 14 uh, tackles for loss last season, five and a half sacks. He's paired with Keith, Keith Randolph Jr., who had 13 tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. You're talking about trying to run on these guys, it's going to be really, really tough. They both were graded inside the top 10 uh, by uh, pro uh, football focuses grades. So Illinois has a great run defense. I, I think the linebackers are maybe an area of concern. Uh, Dylan Rozik is the favorite to land the, the middle linebacker job. He'll play alongside team captain Tariq Barnes. So do, do the linebackers play as, as good as they did last year? And then, the, again, the real question, like Wisconsin, you lost a lot of production in that secondary. How does that secondary continue to force turnovers, 
For me, I think you got to say that they take a little bit of a step back. I think their ceiling is an, is a nine-win season. We'll talk about their schedule in a minute. I think you can get there. My prediction is going to be that eight and four, seven and five measure with six and six is the floor, uh, probably being being where they end up. And I think I, I landed on Illinois at eight and four. So, Garrett. Losing Chase Brown hurts a lot. Losing your secondary hurts a lot. How does Illinois continue to move forward in 2023? It's going to be really tough to get them to move forward. Um, I guess if you're hoping for anything, it's the fact that this is still kind of in a, an ascension for Illinois. They're currently ascending. Rebelim has done a really good job with that program, bringing them up since he took over. And I think you have to look at this as a, sort of a transition year since you did lose, I mean, half of your offense. Half of your offensive production walked out the door in one player. Um, that's tough. Now, I like Luke Altmeyer. I, I think that he's a really good quarterback. I, I don't think that he's maybe elite. I don't think that I love Luke Altmeyer, right? I don't think that he's going to be just this amazing quarterback, but I, I do think that he's really solid, and I think he'll be an upgrade for them. But, yeah, what are you doing with the running game? That was so much of your team last year. You're going to have to kind of change the dynamics of what you're looking for on offense. You're going to have to change sort of the pace of the game if you're going to be seeing, you know, again, more three and outs or maybe some quicker, you know, off the field if they're more of a pass-heavy offense. And, and, you know, if if the running backs can't keep up, what can Luke Altmaier do? I don't know. We're kind of waiting and seeing on that. I personally have them going seven and five. I don't think that they're going to win – too many games this year but again i think you have to put it in perspective and say that you know they're they're currently in sort of a an ascension as a program they're replacing some really talented players and i do think they play well on defense i think they'll stop the run pretty effectively i think that they'll still find ways to fill those holes i don't think that the guys on the back end losing out yet yes you lost some talent on the back end but i don't think you've lost everything that makes you your team I think that they'll be able to replace some guys with some athletes and still play really well back there. It's really just going to be what are they doing on offense. And in a year where you have a lot of transition and a lot of new faces and a lot of new look teams, it's just not going to be the best year to have that much of a step back. Um, If you're looking at kind of where the schedule is at Kansas is surprisingly a harder game than we may have expected it to be. Um, If you're looking at Penn state right afterwards, that could be tough. Um, at Maryland, Wisconsin, going into a late bye week. So they're not really going to have much of a breast in any there. Um, you're looking for Iowa on the road. And so uh, I look at this and I say, I don't think they're going to lose necessarily all of those games. But it, it, again, we talk about the shadow realm, unpredictable stuff happening. It's a lot of new looks. It's a lot of new teams. Where do they stack up? I think they're towards the top, but I don't think they're going to be in any sort of real competition for the division or for anything close to a a new year's six or a big 10, you know, championship or anything like that. Yeah. Their path last year to being close to that big 10 West title was a lot of muddiness, right? They had it. I think they started seven and one last year or something like that. They, They started hot, came out the gate extremely hot. And then, you know, just faltered down the stretch, losing four of their last five, counting the bowl game. I guess, what do you want? What do you guys want to see from Illinois and Brett Bielema this year to show that they have staying power? You know, we're moving away from the divisions. That's something that we haven't really talked about a lot on this episode. But the Big Ten, of course, moving away from the divisions. This is a swan song for the Shadow Realm. Mm-hmm. What do you need to see from them this year 
to say, you know, moving forward in a divisionless Big Ten, I think Illinois is going to have some staying power. They need to showcase some versatility on offense. Chase Brown was a, a once in a, you know, not a, I almost said recruiting cycle, once somewhere between a recruiting cycle and a generation type of player, <laughs> especially for Illinois, right? Like Chase Brown is not walking through those doors once every four or five years for you. So for me, you've got to be able to show, especially in a transfer portal era, okay, you may not get that high four star, but you can recruit him in the transfer portal. And when he comes, how do you surround him with, with weapons, right? How do you surround him with guys uh, that are going to push that offense forward, that are going to uh, run the ball on the ground behind typically a good offensive line, right? I mean, Bielema develops offensive lines. We've seen him do that. The defense, I don't think it's a flash in the pan, but we're going to need to continue to see them force turnovers. And so for me, if you're going to get to eight and four, you're going to have to have items of all of that. I agree. I don't think they're in contention for the Big Ten, coming out of the Big Ten West. But again, shadow realm, you, you play good football, you put yourself in some situations where the ball bounces your way, maybe Illinois runs it back and has an eight-win season, a nine-win season. Yeah, I think long-term, they just need to stick with who they are and yes, add some versatility, but don't get away from what makes you your team. Don't lose your identity, right? If you're Illinois and you're a, a team under Brett Belima, you're going to play smash mouth in your face football, right? You're going to you're going to run the ball. You're going to commit to running the ball. You're going to play tough defense, and that's going to be kind of who you are, right? Don't run away from that just because you know you lost your best player, right? Stick with some of that, you know play good defense. And if you can play good defense and kind of prove that you weren't just a one-off and you weren't just a, this player made us good, then, you know, kind of what Mitch was saying, you can play that in the transfer portal. You can play that on the recruiting trail. If you can come out here and show, Hey, we're the kind of school where if you're a, a running back who's looking for an opportunity, you're going to get that opportunity. If you're, you know, an offensive lineman who wants to put some good film on tape, we'll take you right and, you know, work the portal for the receivers and the quarterbacks and everything else and see what you can get. But keep your identity, be a good running team, and, and then parlay that kind of into something later when you can, you know, kind of take that and say, okay, well, now we're a really good running team, but now we're going to add that passing concept, right? It's like some of his Arkansas teams started to do when he was there, right? They were a really good running team, and then every now and then you would see a, a quarterback start to get a little bit more experience, and they'd pass the football pretty effectively as well. So uh, I think you have to kind of keep your identity and then long-term, you're, you're kind of just playing the, the long game right now, saying, I, I want to win in the transfer portal. I want to try to do what I can on the recruiting trail, and I just want to I want to maybe stack some good winning seasons on there, you know, on each other and, and start to win some football games as we look at a new Big Ten. Guys, let's slide over to kind of the midfield. Shout out my F1 fans. Uh, teams that are could be dangerous, could play spoiler at times, but not contending for a – you know, a division title. And let's go back over to the East because we're going to start with a team that on paper is going to look like a, we think a much improved team, but due to the fact that they share a division with Michigan, Penn state, Ohio state, we don't have them as competing a contender for division uh, pennant or going to Indianapolis. And Garrett, that's the Maryland Terrapins. The, the question for Maryland this year is can Mike Loxley finally put it together on paper. This is an extremely talented team, certainly for what he's had. He did watch some wide receivers walk out the door um, in Rakeem Jarrett, Jacob Copeland. They're gone to the NFL, but Talia Tungavailoa is still there. 
He's putting up incredible numbers through the air. And the defense, uh, certainly defending the, the, the pass, should be fairly solid this year. Jaquan Shepard transfers in from Cincinnati. Corey Coley Jr. is there, too. He returns. That should be your cornerback one, your cornerback two. The defense overall made major strides last year, and you talked about that in your article for the Preview Magazine. They cut down on points per game by a full score, by seven points, and yards per game were cut by nearly 50. So the offense is going to have some fun pieces. The defense, you're hoping, takes a step forward, although I do think the rush defense could be the question mark here, the linebackers specifically. You're really high on Maryland. So tell me what you see when you look at this Terrapins team on paper. Where do you kind of project that ceiling out to be? Well, so, look, I wrote the Maryland Terrapins article, and when you read the little tag on my little screen here, the keeper of the hot takes is about to have to do some work. So I have the Maryland Terrapins this year going 10-2. and Um, That's what I project them to do. And I'm going to try to make that case as strong as I possibly can. So for all my Big Ten fans who are screaming at me, just listen for a second. And for my Maryland fans, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) First thing that you have to look at is what they've done in their coaching staff. Okay. Josh Gaddis is as good of an offensive coordinator as you can hire. That's just point blank period. That's as good as you can do. And yes, pairing with Kevin Sumlin, that's, that's good too. I know he didn't really work out as a head coach, but a good offensive mind. Those two guys in your meeting room are going to do really, really well for your offensive staff. And you get to pair him with the guy who, and I think Trey, I'm going to slightly correct for him a little bit earlier, the guy who we did rank the number one quarterback this year going into the Big Ten. You're right. Right after I said that, I was like, oh, no, we put Talia. Yeah, we (laughs) put Talia as the top quarterback. Tanner was number two, Talia was number one. Yes, correct. And a big reason for that is the fact that Talia has been really, really good. Nobody's really been paying attention because he plays at Maryland and they're not necessarily going to get the media hype because they do end up finishing fourth or fifth in their division typically. Um, But Talia has been really, really good outside of an injury. He's putting up some massive numbers. He's completed over 67% of his passes for almost 8,000 yards and like two plus seasons, right? He didn't quite play a third season. He had some spot starts and things like that, but if he's healthy this year, this team can play extremely well on offense. I think there's some real breakout candidates. I really like the running backs, uh, specifically Roman Hemby. He almost rushed for a thousand yards last year. He was averaging over five yards a carry on the ground. He's a bit of a bit of a power back, maybe, but he can really flash with the plays that he can make. Um, and then when you're looking at the receivers, there's a lot coming back. I like Tyrese Chambers a lot. I think he could have a really good season. He's a real breakout candidate for me. Um, a guy that when I was watching some of the film in sort of, you know, looking in the preseason, what do I have on film for him um, and really breaking this team down? I think he could kind of explode as a number one target who I point out, they kind of haven't had a number one target as their main guy at Maryland. They haven't had one guy to really step up and say, I'm your go-to. And so for me, when I look at Maryland, I look at their schedule it sets up really nice for a good season. When you look at the, how they start, they start with Towson, Charlotte, Virginia, three of the worst teams you could possibly pick um, to, to, you know, do anything this year. So I think they'll start an easy 3-0 at Michigan State. That's going to be a daytime game, so you don't have to worry about anything weird at night. Um, and then Indiana, I think they start 5-0. and I think they're cruising. I think Talia's, you know, getting things rolling with his new offensive coordinator. 
And I think that this defense is kind of finding its footing against some much inferior competition and starting to get a little bit of swagger on, right? Starting to kind of think, hey, we can play well. We're getting some some good performances. Then they go to Ohio State. That's tough. I'm going to leave that behind for just a second. Illinois, I think they win that one. And then a bye week. And then you go at Northwestern, Penn State, at Nebraska, Michigan, Rutgers. Here's kind of why I think they go 10-2. and I don't see any losses on their schedule outside of Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Two of those games are at home. Two of those games are against brand-new quarterbacks, and you have an experienced quarterback coming back. You have some really solid pieces on the offensive side of the football. And when you look at some of their losses last year, Talia got hurt towards the end of the season, which is why at the end of the season there were some you know, maybe not-so-sparkling moments. But you lost to Michigan – by seven points you lost to Purdue by two and the Ohio State game Talia ended up coming back from that one still a little bit hobbled and if you guys get notifications from ESPN you saw the notifications just like I did that they were in that game underneath a minute so outside of a couple weird defensive plays they almost had Ohio State too I think this year they get one of them if you ask me which one I think is most likely I think they get Penn State at home you know, you get to you get to play Penn State at home, probably with one loss at that point to Ohio State. And, and you know, you're going to be highly ranked against highly ranked. I think a pretty good crowd for that one. Um, young quarterback who I think we all expect a lot out of. I, I just kind of think that one sets up real nice. So if you're telling me that they're going to go over three against the big dogs, then sure. Write them down for nine and three. That's a really good year. But. I think they snag one of them. Nothing's perfect. Nothing goes chalk in college football. And I think that's that November 4th match against Penn State, I think, goes Maryland way. I could be wrong about this. They could be terrible. But if I'm right and they go 10-2, and two, then we're going to make one of our colleagues over at the transfer portal lead a shoe. That's what I'm hoping for. And that's about what I'm going to hang my hat on. So this is my go Maryland. That, that's about what I have for them. Well, hey, I mean, yeah, fun team. Fun team. I think nine and three is where I've got them. Trey, you've got them at nine and three as well. Yep. We expect them to to do quite well. That that defense, or I'm sorry, that offense combined with a, a little bit of an easier schedule, I think sets up very very well. So I mean, in the words of of SVP, let's go to Bentley's baby. Let's let's celebrate yeah. a successful Terrapins <laughs> year. Would be the best year uh, for the Terrapins under Mike Loxley. The other team in the East in this category is Michigan state. And the reason we put them in this category isn't necessarily because what we're projecting Michigan state to do, but rather the two teams that will be below them. And we'll get to them in just a minute. Uh, Michigan state boy, last year could not have been more disappointing for them. Right. Mel Tucker is, is, is vibing. Sparty is, is in a good place. Um, or at least it feels like, okay, we can, we can move towards being elite, right? They're, they're not that far removed from the Fiesta Bowl win over Pitt. Um, and then you lose four straight and five of six and falling to Indiana and Penn State to finish the season, and all of a sudden it's a whole heap and pile of mess, and you have guys getting arrested for uh, a brawl against Michigan and kicked off the team. And, and then, oh, by the way, guys, Peyton Thorne and Keon Coleman bail on the program post spring ball. They enter the transfer portal. Peyton Thorne's now down on the plains at Auburn. Keon Coleman is going to go win a national title at Florida state. Uh, and things are not groovy in East Lansing. 
Um, really, the star here is is going to be Noah Kim. Uh, should win the quarterback job. A player who our transfer portal CFB teammates are really, really high on. He's a good dual threat. Um, has good legs. Cannon of an arm. Jalen Berger, who transferred from Wisconsin last season, should have another good season. I think Nathan Carter coming over, a UConn transfer, gives him a really solid one-two punch. The problem is, at wide receiver and, and pass-catching options, you're limited, right? Trey Mosley's really the only guy that catches your attention. He had 35 catches last season. Antonio Gates Jr. is on the team. That should be fun, but no one that's going to replace Keon Coleman, right? The defense, a, a solid run defense and should be able to get some pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Simeon Barrow Jr., one of the best defensive tackles in the country, comes back. You add to Miche Adelaide from Texas A&M on the edge. So they've got some talented pieces. Uh, cor- or, I'm sorry, linebackers are going to be fun as well. Cal Halliday, Jacoby Winman are veteran playmakers. But as is a theme here in the Big Ten, the secondary is a sore spot for this team. They went from dead last in pass defense in 2021 to 87th last year, but they still gave up a ton of yards, didn't force many turnovers, um, and they just don't have kind of those brand names that I'm expecting to step up. Now, Charles Brantley is a guy that is probably more of a household name, but that unit's going to go through trial by fire, I think. Plus, guys, that schedule, as I pull up Michigan State's schedule, it's not... It's not fun. It's not conducive. Um, Central Michigan, Richmond should be easy wins. But then you have Washington and Maryland that come to town. You play Iowa all before a bye week. I have a hard time feeling like you get any of those games, especially if Washington is as good as we're expecting them to be in the Pac-12. You play Michigan at home. You go to Minnesota. You go to Ohio State. And then you host Penn State. It's just a brutal schedule, as it is for Michigan State every year because they're in the East, right? So they're always going to catch Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State in some order. But for me, this is another rebuilding season. I think they're a cut above what you're going to see from Rutgers and from Indiana, and so that's why they're in this middle tier. But for me, it's I think you've got a, a number of young pieces that are in town. Mel Tucker's trying to replenish the well with, um, with recruiting pitches, but that $95 million extension is really looking like a tough a tough move for Sparty right now. Guys, let's switch over to the midfield of the Big Ten West. And Trey, we'll start with Purdue here. Purdue went 8-6 and six a season ago. One of kind of the weirdest seasons on paper because they were the winners of the Shadow Realm. Um, and for their efforts, they get a brand new coaching staff. Uh, Jeff Brom is off on to Louisville. So they bring over Ryan Walters, defensive coordinator from Illinois last season. They bring in Graham Harold to run the offense. We're going to run the air raid in uh, over in Purdue. That's going to get fun. And Kevin Kane now is the defensive coordinator. Um, it was it was an interesting season to, to say the least last year. We won't rehash that too much. But looking forward to what they have in 2023, I think this is. A little bit of a rebuilding year for Purdue as rebuilding years go. I mean, Purdue's never going to really threaten for 10 wins, right? But uh, as far as winning the Big Ten West, I don't think that's going to happen this year. I'm really struggling to see how they consistently make a bowl game 
in my projections. Now, the offense should be fun. Hudson Card comes over from Texas to quarterback that. He and Graham Harrell should have a good time together. Um, They lose a lot of their kind of go-to options in the wide receiver and tight end room, right? Charlie Jones was amazing for them last season coming over from Iowa. He's gone. Payne Durham was a great option at tight end. He's gone now. So they've got some veterans coming back, but who's going to step up and be that reliable target for Hudson Carr? That's still yet to be uh, to be decided. The left side of the offensive line is a tenured group, but that right side is entirely new. They're going to need a new guard, new tackle. Uh, and as you work into an air raid system, you're going to need kind of a systemized approach to playing the offensive line. I wonder if Purdue can install that in year one. Defensively, it's an entirely new defensive line which I think is really going to hurt, certainly as they try and defend the run. Uh, Nick Carraway was really solid uh, last year. Um, a Brian, Texas native, actually, from, from just down the road uh, from where we're sitting. He's a good linebacking option. And then they've got some, some fun names in the secondary. They've got uh, Marquise Wilson transferring over from Penn State. Salim Turner Muhammad comes over from Stanford. All in all... They should have a decent pass rush, but I'm really concerned about the skill position. So for me, I've got them somewhere in that six and six, five and four range. I think officially locking in a five and seven, just missing a bowl game with that schedule. Where are you? The air raid can be very, very tricky to install in year one, specifically if you don't have kind of returning stars at wide receiver. The Graham Harrell offense might be a little bit different. I do think that they have they, they were running something similar when Jeff Brown was there, so it's not going to be a huge a huge change, but it does feel like a rebrand for Purdue, doesn't it? It feels like they're kind of shifting mm-hmm. strategies. They did they hired a defensive minded head coach, a guy that was a defensive coordinator at Illinois before becoming head coach at Purdue, and that's intriguing to me. I'm not sure how that's going to work out for them in year one. That's going to be a big philosophical change. But, you know, like we've said with a lot of these teams in the Big Ten West, there's not there's enough potential wins on the schedule that you can get excited about the year, right? You're not looking at this season if you're a Purdue fan and thinking all hope is lost. We have a new staff. We have a new quarterback. I think they went into the portal and got a really good quarterback in Hudson Card, a guy that yeah. if he wasn't, you know, competing with Quinn Ewers at Texas might have been the starter at Texas last year. I don't want to get too yep. deep in the politics of that, but I think he was good enough to be the starter at Texas last year. And, you know, I think that I, I think he could be a really, really good. I don't know that the drop off is going to be huge from what they had in Aiden O'Connell last year, but the skill position talent that he's working with is definitely, de- definitely a step backwards when you think about losing Charlie Jones. I'm interested to see in where they take the running game because that was not a priority under Jeff Brom. They were consistently just okay with being towards the bottom of this, that statistical category. So I don't know, is Graham Harrell going to kind of revitalize that? He definitely seen that in pieces. I think he does have more of a run focused air raid um, than what Jeff Brom was running at Purdue. So I don't know. It's going to be fascinating. I'm not really hot or cold on Purdue right now. I think it's going to be, Maybe not a Big Ten West championship season, but I think they can still be solid. I think, you know, getting to a bowl game isn't that tough. I'm a little bit higher on Syracuse than some, and so I've got them dropping their third non-conference game. They go uh, Fresno State to Virginia Tech. 
and then host Syracuse before they get into Big Ten play. If they are going to make a bowl game, it's going to be it's going to come down to beating teams like Minnesota. It's going to come down to beating teams like Syracuse. And so seven and five, I think, is certainly in play. I, I don't have them getting to that this year. I think if you have an, uh, a fly in the ointment in an air raid, it can be very difficult to get on the same page. That defense, I, I kind of willing to bet they take a little bit of a step back as well. Um, so not quite as high on the Boilermakers this year. I do have them hitting or going under that five and a half uh, mark. Uh, let's go uh, to Minnesota now. And Minnesota is a team that could play spoiler at some point this season but they also could maybe be a little bit of a dud. And for Minnesota, it's interesting because they've had back-to-back nine-win campaigns. In fact, P.J. Fleck is only the second coach in Minnesota's history to ever do that. They went 9-4 and four last year, 5-4 and four in conference play. The big blight on their record was a three-game losing streak. They lost to Purdue, to Illinois, and to Penn State. Um, but they did beat Wisconsin, which was a, a good way to, to end the year, a, a very emotional game especially for Jim Leonard, the then interim head coach uh, for Wisconsin. Athen Kaliak-Manis, he takes over at Minnesota, and I dare you guys to say that five times fast. He's the new quarterback for Minnesota. Again, was Tanner Morgan's freshman year, pre-2008, post-housing bubble crashing. You be the judge. Uh, He was there for forever. Chris Ottman-Bell is cashing Social Security checks. It's his seventh season in the program, and I swear he he got there in 2013. Um, I feel like I've heard his name for forever. So you lose some veteran pieces, you get some other pieces back. The question will be, uh, what does the running game give you as you replace Mo Ibrahim? It's right now setting up to be a running back by committee situation, and the passing game was not productive last year. Kirk Sharaka in his one year in Minneapolis was a resounding failure. So how does the passing game kind of elevate uh, Greg Harbaugh Jr. is elevated from the tight ends coach? What do you do with the running game? Is there some sort of reset there on the balance of the offense? Defensively, guys, did you know Minnesota was a top 10 defensive unit last year? Because I had forgotten that, but they were really, really good. Um, you've got Danny Strigo coming back, three and a half sacks. He was the only gopher who had more than two sacks last year. So they're going to need to get some more pass, uh, pass rush production. Chris Collins comes over from UNC. I think he'll be a good tandem there with Danny. Uh, Cody Lindenbaugh, who is a star of a very productive linebacker unit, is back, but he's going to have two new partners playing on the outside next to him. So how do they gel? How do they stop the run this year? Again, we keep beating that drum. The Big Ten is a conference of running backs this year. If you can't stop the run, it's going to be, well, not a long day at the office. It may be a little bit of a shorter day at the office, but you're going to give up a lot of points. Um, there's their cornerback unit. Their secondary is also very, very young. Another unit I'm not super impressed with ceiling is I think at eight and four, I, I don't see a path to nine wins for the third straight year without that bell cow. But I, I think you could make a case for eight and four. I think five and seven is kind of their floor. If you lose a stunner to Nebraska, for instance, I think that's, you know, set you off on the wrong foot. Personally, I'm going to go seven and five for the Gophers. It's it's not the year that I think PJ Fleck and and his folks want up there as they row the boat, but it's a it's a move the chains forward year, right? You you keep yourself relevant. You you continue to have winning records. You go win a bowl game. You go eight and five. That's the vision that I think you're selling at Minnesota eight nine and maybe a threat for ten. 
man, it, it really pains me to say as the captain of the boat rowing crew last year, you were, man, I, I was so high on Minnesota and I, I, I look, Kirk Shiraka let me down and I think this is a rebuilding year for Minnesota. And that really pains me to say, I have them just missing a bowl game. If things bounce the right way, I think they could definitely get there, but man, Mo Ibrahim was their offense last year, especially after Tanner Morgan went down. You know, you you look at all the turnover that they're going to have there. Mo Ibrahim, I, I remember, I, I think it was the Iowa game last year, one of those really close ones down the stretch. Mo Ibrahim was literally just willing them uh, down the field <laughs> to the tune of 250 yards or something like that, and the rest of the team probably had 50 combined. So. <laughs> I think that's a big, big hole to fill on the roster. I think the defense is going to be just fine. You know, you look at this, it's a recurring theme. There's a lot of really elite defenses on paper. You know, how much of that is actual talent on the field and scheme versus the poor offenses that they're playing seven games a year, six or seven games a year in the Big Ten West. But Minnesota had a legit good defense last year, and I don't think that that's going to fall too far off. But offensively, I just really struggle. They could be shades of 2022 Iowa this year on offense, if I'm being honest. Yeah. They, I think getting started with Nebraska is a big, a big win. You need to win that game. North Carolina going to North Carolina will be a big road game. Yeah. Louisiana at home is a tricky non-conference game as well. If you're not ready for that one, that's that they can come up and get you. Yeah. All right, Garrett, let's go now to, to the true rebuilding teams, the best of the rest, right? Um, and by the rest, I mean the last four teams in the Big Ten. You've got Rutgers and Indiana from the east. You've got Northwestern Nebraska from the west. Where would you like to go? Who would you like to preview here in this this last little bit? I, I don't want to go anywhere if, the, if those are my options. Um, look, I, if you're going to start with Northwestern, let's go ahead and start there. There's going to be a lot of challenges that have to go along with the recent news and with yep. turning over a coaching staff. We have no idea what to expect there. Um, except probably not a lot of success. We don't know how bad it might be, but I don't think we can expect a lot of success. They did get a good transfer quarterback, I think, and, and Ben Bryant, I think he was solid transfer quarterback. I don't know that he's necessarily a, a world beater, but I think it's an improvement on what they've had, maybe. Um, and, and, you know, that might be a little helpful. But again, you're talking about a team without a coach. Um, I, I think that looking around, you got a lot of rebuilds. Um, the one I'm maybe most optimistic about long-term is going to be Nebraska. I think that's not necessarily a hot take by anybody. Matt Rule's a great program builder. Matt Rule's really good at doing what he has to do to, you know, rip it down to the studs and figure out who are his guys and, and you know, what he has to do to make a team win. I don't necessarily think it's going to be this year. Um, pulling up Nebraska's schedule right now, you start at Minnesota, at Colorado. I personally have them losing both of those. And then, you know, Michigan at Illinois, um, you play Maryland, who I'm very high on. You play at Wisconsin, you finish with Iowa. I, I don't see a whole lot of wins in this first year. Um, I, I'm not necessarily a Sims believer when it comes to their transfer quarterback. I know that he's he's going to do his best and, you know, that they've just about had a rotating door at who's the new coach and who's the new quarterback for the past. I don't even know how many years, but you know, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of where they can go long term. I just don't think it's very high right now. You can see on the graphic we have the winning total over under is six and a half. I think that's pretty dramatic. 
Um, I, obviously, that I think what number is for that. That's yeah, well, that number is a money grab, I think, if you're because you're going to have a lot of people that are Nebraska fans that might be a little bit optimistic that are ready to slam that. And, and I think a lot of the rest of the country are ready to, to go under on that one. I'm, I'm going under on that one personally. How dare they take money away from our hardworking Heartland folks? I mean, they're just good, clean living people up there in Nebraska. They just want to want to bet on their Huskers. How dare they set that? Look, they're somehow going to keep selling out, um, but I don't really know why. Um, they're not going to have a great product, I don't think, on the field. They will have a good running game. Um, I think what is it, Anthony Graham? I think is the running back there. He's pretty solid, but um, I, I think that. It's probably brighter days ahead for Nebraska. Not too far in the distance, but still brighter days ahead. I will say Nebraska is probably the most likely out of these four to make a bowl, right? I think out of these four teams, Nebraska would be surprising. Yeah, Yeah, I'll I'll explain my take on Rutgers in a minute. I mean, it's a pro-style offense. You're installing that. It's a 3-3-5 defense. You're installing that. So literally every piece that could be moving is moving for Nebraska. The issue that I have getting on board with it's a talented team. There's some talent up there that Nebraska has. They always have talent. But the issue is that rule historically literally tears it down to the studs. And part of it is installing a new offense and a new defense. Um, at Temple, he went 2-10. At Baylor in his first year, he went 1-11. Baylor was coming off of a, a nice little season, right, in, in the wake of the Art Bryles scandal. So this was not something that Baylor fans saw coming when all of a sudden they went one and 11. Now, did they have people transfer out? Of course, but uh, for rule, he typically tears it down to the studs. Jeff Simpson is going to be fine. He outperformed Casey Thompson. Take for that what you will in spring ball. Thompson's now at FAU. Um, they've got some pieces on the defense. Luke Reimer is a fourth year starter at linebacker. Their, their secondary refer, uh, returns 90% of the snaps, but when you look at the schedule, it's, it's just tough, Garrett. Like you talked about it. Your wins are Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech. Can you beat Northwestern? Can you beat Purdue at home? Can you beat Michigan State on the road? And then finishing with Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. Like that's the wins don't just stack up for Big Red. Not this year. I think 2024 starts to be fun. I think 2025 is when Nebraska gets to party. Um, I, I think that's when they're going to be yeah. really, really good. Malachi Coleman will be in his third year. Third, should be in his third season. Gosh, you, you hope so with the transfer portal um, at wide receiver, a really, really talented guy. And this recruiting class that they're stacking up for 2024, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's go over Rutgers. My pick that I'm a little bit higher on out of this this group. Now, four and eight, five and seven is probably where I have the Scarlet Knights, but I think they can be. I think they're going to play better than what that record could indicate. Rutgers, their defense is actually sneaky good. Uh, I wrote the preview for the Transfer Portal CFB magazine. I think their defense can be very good. The offense has got to figure it out. They, they've got to pick a quarterback first and foremost, um, whether it's Gavin Wimstat or uh, I'm blanking on um, who the other guy in that quarterback room is, uh, Evan Simon. Both are pack, pocket passers, so whichever guy can be more composed and more accurate I think is going to win that job. That job may not be decided in fall camp. We may see that bleed over into the regular season. Uh, a really good running back room, some some options out wide. Nassim Brantley transfers in from Western Illinois. He had nine, almost 900 yards, nine touchdowns last season. So it's not something that's going to get the national reporters really excited, 
But I truly believe that this team could compete for a bowl game. I pull up their schedule. You have to beat Northwestern. You have to beat Temple. You have to beat Virginia Tech at home. Virginia Tech, we'll see. I'm higher on them than you guys are. I think if that offense can be something uh, with Cameron Drones, I think Virginia Tech has a good defense. I think they could be a bowl-eligible team. You play Wagner, of course. Um, but then it's going to be, can you beat Michigan State at home? Can you beat Indiana on the road? That that close is one of the toughest closes in the country. Uh, Ohio State at Iowa, at Penn State, home against Maryland. You know, I've got them going 0-4 there. I think most other people will as well. So you're going to have to make hay in that front, that front eight weeks. If you can, congratulations. It's going to be an awesome story. You're going to make a bowl game. If not, you know, kind of same old, same old with Rutgers. I did predict them at, at four and eight. Going six and two in the first eight is just a whale of an ask from from this Rutgers team. They do have the potential to be this year's Syracuse, though, if they can figure they that out. Because yeah, they do. Syracuse, that was the formula last year. Get them all in early, get you, secure <laughs> your bowl eligibility, yeah. and then face the real meat of your schedule in the back half. But the difference between Rutgers and Syracuse last year is I think Garrett Schrader – is you know way way more advanced than what Rutgers has on yeah. the roster at quarterback, yeah. and that's the big concern there. If Greg Schiano can ever get quarterback figured out in this iteration, then I'll start to be a little bit higher on Rutgers, and I think everyone else should too. But I think if you're Rutgers right now this year, you are just really looking forward to next year when you're not in the Big Ten East. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Division divisionless football will benefit teams like Rutgers. Uh, <laughs> lastly, we've got Indiana. They went four and eight last year. Hoosier fans, you know, nine win Indiana is a cause that I rallied behind. In fact, someone just made the the case that because Tennessee had to vacate their wins from twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, nine win Indiana actually technically happened. Um, so, congratulations, everybody. We did it. Uh, unfortunately, I think the home field t-shirts, uh, that have nine Windiana on them are the only chance that you'll have to see or even dream about that campaign. Cause guys, this could go bad very, very quickly. This Indiana team, um, they finished 10th in the AP poll in 2020. Since then they've gone six and 19, including a two and 16 mark in conference play. They've been outscored in those 25 games, 796 to 415. That's good for a average margin of defeat of 15, which is one of the worst in the country over that stretch. Indiana has not had any offense. They haven't been able to stop anybody on defense. Desan McCullough, their best playmaker, transferred to Oklahoma. Unfortunately for Tom Allen, I think this is another rebuilding season, but you've got to start stacking some talent in the recruiting classes and they just haven't been able to do that. They turned the ball over like it was going out of style last year. Um, they don't, you know, maybe they have a team strength of the pass rush, but for me, I put for their team weakness, literally everything. They lost a ton of value to the portal. They do get Taven Jackson in from Tennessee. Um, he's an Indianapolis native. So maybe he's, you know, your, your quarterback of the future there uh, for the Hoosiers, but there's just so much that's that's unproven. They don't know if Cam Camper will be back for the start of the year at wide receiver, 46 catches a year ago, but he tore his ACL. They're not sure when he'll be back. So 
you know, I, I don't really know what to tell you about Indiana. I think it's a two and ten season as I've got it projected. I I just don't see wins on the calendar for the Hoosiers, which is sad because I, I I would love to see Memorial Stadium full. I would love to see the Hoosiers just you know being fun again like they were in twenty twenty. Yeah, I I also have ten lost Deanna this year. Um, I I feel bad about I feel bad about it. I really do. I will um, not print that T-shirt. Yeah, I don't think anyone should. We know we're not going to have that. West Lafayette is going to print that T-shirt. <laughs> um, but no, I just I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a sad year. Um, it's you know you pretty much laid out the case, Mitch. They're not going to be very competitive. Not a whole lot going to go right for him this year. Um, if you really look at kind of the stats breakdown which we have set up, it's it's kind of just sad to look at how you. Know, I, if you're an Indiana fan, is your bright side going? Hey. At least we had the 87th best passing offense. Like, is that your? It's like your bright spot here. Um, I, I feel bad for him. I, I think it'll be better someday um, because I think that there's just too much pride at Indiana to stay down. But I don't see the path forward right now. I don't see a way for them to really make it past you know too many wins this year. I think that they probably end up losing a whole bunch. I got them at two and ten, um, kind of rounding up the floor of the of the Big Ten. Yeah, just too many giants to slay for Indiana this year. But, man, I, I just hate it for him because if you look at 2021, Mitch, you talked about how good they were in 2020 in the p- pandemic year. Michael Penix gets hurt, and then it's just all downhill from there. They just had a rash of injuries, and they just have not been able to recover from that yet. So, yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful for them in the future. But, gosh, Tom Allen's just got to be wondering, like, what he did and who he made mad in the universe to just have the string of bad luck that he's had. Yeah, I agree. Um, Fortunately though, for us as college football fans, this conference as a whole is going to be so much fun. And and the big 10 should be one of the best to watch this season. Again, like I said, we'll get to our college football playoff picks uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. I think they're going to be a contender this year to get multiple teams in the college football playoffs, certainly heading into 2024 divisionless football. You talk about USC, UCLA joining the big 10 is here to stay and they're going to be a ton of fun. Let us know who you have coming out of the East, coming out of the West. It should be an absolute blast and we can't wait to watch it, dissect it all with you as well. For Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging with us for our big 10 preview. The big 12 is up next until next time. So long, everyone. Gracious, yeah. How about that?